Blog Talk Radio. Two is offering home for, or hope rather for healing through numerous pairs. 
and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested in the many issues of that are prevention, intervention, and recovery. Okay, that's what we're involving, prevention, intervention, and recovery. We speak about that a lot. I could actually do a show on each one, whether it be prevention, intervention, or recovery. Um, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal because um, if our country and any country would learn more about prevention, intervention, and recovery, then uh, we would probably have less of a problem. Maybe the stats would go down. Um, it's not just from you know kids not having enough knowledge about you know child abuse or the parents. It's also because of what to look out for today. And I will bring that forth because that is the truth. Okay. Now, what I want to do is I want to bring on our guest. Again, her name is Shirley T. Williams, and she's from Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Hello, Shirley. Hi. How are you, Carol? Thank you oh, for I'm having me on fine. the show. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. Otherwise, everybody would have to listen to me to talk. <laughs> I'm very good at that, by the way. I, you know. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have a good time here. I see Bill has uh, come in also. Okay, so um, our founder is here. He's president. I'm vice president. So anyway, I will open up his mic. When he wants to talk, he can speak also. So, Shirley, why don't you um, start out by telling us your story? Okay, well, here we go. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to read my book, but it was a myriad of things happening uh, as I was growing up. More importantly, I think the protagonist in, in my story was basically my mom. She was very, very physically, emotionally abusive. Um, she would whoop my butt at the drop of a hat. I used to get blamed for everything and get whooped for everything. Um, if 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 parents could be arrested, well, they probably are now. But back then, she would still she probably would still be in jail. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I, I had a very traumatic childhood. That was a very bad experience, and it, it left me um, feeling unloved, unwanted. Especially after she told me how she tried to abort me when she found out that she was pregnant with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was entertaining for my other siblings who thought it was funny and had a good laugh as a result um, of it. So um, growing up, well, through the course of that, I used to run away from home a lot. Um, I was just tired of getting whooped all the time, and I was really tired of hearing my mother screaming at me to the top of her voice rather than – and it was – it was six of us. I had five other siblings, and um, I was the black sheep of the family, and I never understood why. And I just got tired of the whoopings, and I got tired of her beating on me all the time. So I used to run away from home. Um, one time I ran away from home, she uh, told the cops that she didn't want me in the house, so they ended up taking me to a juvenile um, facility for at-risk kids. And a law, um, in the process of doing that, I was sexually assaulted by the police officer who uh, was in charge of me and making sure that I got to the facility, um, you know, appropriately. And I was, of, of course, I've never had sex before, so that was a very traumatic experience. But um, it was a long, long, a very long journey of me to finally um, get the healing 
and find forgiveness and get the liberation that I needed as an adult um, cover from a lot of those traumatic experiences. And my, sure. my, main perp- my main purpose when evaluating my ACEs was to identify ways that um, patterns built in my childhood were and may still be inhibiting my ability to thrive now as an adult. And that's what I like to focus on. And when I work with other victims of ACEs, that's what I try to focus on because sometimes we get so caught up in a story and so attached to the stories, it's no room to heal. It's no room for forgiveness. And so I work, I did, it's, it takes a lot of work, and you have to be willing to let go of the emotional attachment to that. And I know a lot of times that sounds easier said than done, but it really isn't, and, and it does take effort. And I, found, I find that a lot of people aren't willing to put the work in to get the healing and find the forgiveness that they need to thrive in their adult life. And so I was looking for patterns from my childhood, again, that might be inhibiting my ability to thrive as an adult. And so, and um, patterns such as, you know, like even to today, constantly moving and not being able to live in the same place for longer than a year or two. Um, and during my adolescence, by, because I ran away from home a lot, you know, like I said, I got fed up with the beatings. I was always, I was tired of hearing my mother always screeching at me in this high-pitched voice and yelling at me for every little thing. And I used to wonder why she couldn't speak to me nicely and lovingly the way that she did my other siblings. Mm-hmm. And when I ran away, a lot of times I used to just go to the beach and just sit there for hours trying to figure out why she treated me differently, why was I even in that family, and what was wrong with me that she didn't love me like she did my other siblings. And I wonder why she hated me so much and even why I was even born. And I felt alone, like nobody really cared for me, except for my dad. He was an alcoholic, um, but he wasn't a violent alcoholic. When he'd get drunk, he'd come home 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and he'd want to play the blues and play jazz music (laughs) and call Mm -hmm. me to get up and feed him. (laughs) And so I love (laughs) jazz and blues to this day. (laughs) And um, But... Um, you know, I knew that he loved me and he cared for me to some extent, but he never did anything about how my mother treated me. And I wanted him to hit her. <laughs> Heck, I kind of figured he was probably afraid of her as well. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, going, going through all of those, yeah, going through all of those emotional challenges and trying to figure out how I fit into the big scheme of life, I used to always wish that somebody would just take an interest in me and show me how to live a thing called life. I was so curious and inspired by life, and I felt strongly that I wanted to do something important with my life to contribute to it. And more than anything, I wanted an adult to mentor me, to show me how to be what I felt inside, and to answer those pressing questions for me. And I wanted a a new set of parents. (laughs) I hear you. I hear that, yeah. So typically when I'd run away and it got dark, you know, I have to find a safe place to sleep and hide at night. And I used to sleep because I grew up in a project in New York City. So I used Mm -hmm. to sleep in a stairwell on a platform leading up to the roof of the building. And sometimes I'd break into the maintenance closet or the elevator room and just stay Mm -hmm. there all night. And one time when I ran away, I stayed in, a, in another set of projects across from where I lived at. And I spent the night in this nook underneath the stairwell, 
and most of the space was taken up by this huge box about the size of a washing machine, and the box was, was filled with, like, college-level textbooks on a myriad of different topics. And, and I was probably about 11 or 12 years old at the time. And, you know, just imagine being exposed to that kind of information. Talk about the school of hard knocks, right? <laughs> really? Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. But oh because God. there wasn't a, a lot of space to lay down on the floor, so I mm-hmm. sat up on top of that pile of books all night just reading and glancing through medical books, books on philosophy, history, poetry, just all night long. And it was mm-hmm. it was somewhat invigorating. It was a very invigorating experience, and it opened my eyes to a new realm of possibilities. And that only fueled my um, naive desire even more to make something good in my life. But I was still a product of my environment. Um, so you know, you're I, so well. You're, let, let me say something here. You're so well spoken, honey. Those 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 books that you read, I think they helped you a lot. You know what I'm saying? Um, you would think that I would speak a little bit better because I'm flip flop. <laughs> That's just the way I am. <laughs> you know, I have fun with the way I talk. But um, you have a, a eloquence about you. So with Thank all you. your experiences, it took, lot, it took a lot of work to get there, you know, because I was a, I was mm-hmm. a very angry person for a long time, Carol. Believe me, mm-hmm. and um, once I guess um, I just started, I really wanted to work on me because I didn't like the way that I was. Mm-hmm. 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 And so, um, uh, so a lot of times when I run away, I stay at a friend's house for a short period of time. The last time I ran away. Again, like I said, the police brought me home, and my mom said that she didn't want me there, and they placed me in a facility for at-risk youth. And I stayed there for about two years until the facility closed down, and then I transferred to the job hall in New Jersey. And um, when that facility was shut down about a year later, I returned home for a short period of time. So I was about 15 or 16 at the time, and I got pregnant at 16. And my Mm -hmm. other sibling, one of my sisters had a baby also at 15 a, a year earlier. And so when I told my mom that I was pregnant, she put me out, told me to leave. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I went to the welfare office to try to get assistance, and they gave me a list of women's shelter to go to, a 16-year-old hanging out in a woman's shelter. <laughs> No but, um, you know, that that was a traumatic experience in itself because I was out there on my own and I really didn't, you know, I didn't have any place to go or anybody to talk to or any, you know, any um, any help other than this list of places to go. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I was on my way to one, and when I came out of the subway in New York, I met this man and I asked him for directions uh, to the shelter. And he asked me, why was I going to that place? And I told him, I'm like, well, you know, my mom put me out and I have nowhere else to go. But he couldn't believe that. Mm -hmm. He couldn't believe a mom would put a pregnant kid, a child Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of introduced himself and he told me, you know, that he had a business up the street and uh, he was hanging out with some of his friends. And, again, like I said, he didn't believe my story. So one of the guys said, well, call her mom to see if she's telling the truth or not. And the guy called my mom, and after the conversation, and she told him, well, you have her, you keep her, she's your responsibility now. And so um, mm-hmm. he said he said he offered me to stay at his place if I want rather than go to the shelter. But I declined, you know, it's like, no, I'll just go, you know, to the shelter. And he's like, well, you'll be back because that's no place for you to go. And so – so I went off to the women's shelter, and no sooner that I walked in a door, 
it was this crippled girl who lived in the projects where, where I lived at, so I knew her and her family. And no sooner than I walked in the door, I kind of saw her at the end of the corridor kind of hobbling down the hallway. And when she saw me, she called me by my name, and it surprised the heck out of me seeing her there. And I thought that the shelter was for women like her who were crippled. And I just turned and ran out of that building as fast as I could. And I went back to find that guy, and I took him, took him up on his offer. But he was, he was a man of his word. He was a perfect gentleman. He um, gave me the key to his apartment. He let me move. He moved some things out. He let me move in. He made, he checked on me every day and made sure I had money. Uh, and then I, you know, I gave birth to my daughter prematurely about uh, three months premature. Wow. And, um, Let, let's stop uh, there. Okay. Let's stop there, honey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause you're really going through your story here. I see Lakeisha is here too. And, uh, and we have a nice crew here tonight. This is good. Um, what what the uh, panel likes to do is they sort of like to engage, you know, with the uh, person who's telling the story, and uh, it maybe they have a question, or, or they want to make a comment, or maybe they can identify with you. Uh, I know about the streets in New York, and I know about sleeping in project areas and all this other stuff. So, uh, yeah, I get that. <laughs> I'm running away from home. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you're lucky you got in with such a nice guy from the sounds of it. But let's stop there, and uh, let's go to the panel. I'm going to start at the top. We have Lori. And, uh, Lori, maybe you'd like to ask her a question or make a comment. Um, yeah, I also think that you're doing pretty well, you know, where you are, like you got far. And you mm-hmm. sound like such a nice person that, you know, you'd be somebody I would hang out with for sure. Um, I relate because I was one of the ones who knew my family didn't like me. Uh, my brother, my sister, I don't know how well they were like, but they were treated way much better than me. And mm-hmm. to go through something like that, you know, and know that, no, you don't have the bare necessities to get through life. You're going through it alone. So listening to mm-hmm. you, uh, you got far. You really got far. Again, Laurie, it took a lot of work. It really did a lot of work on myself as an adult. And only well, just like to know to life. do that. Yeah, just to know oh. to do what you did, you know, that, that just yeah. says a lot about you. So, of course, you're going yeah. to succeed. So go for it. Keep going. We need you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I agree with that, too. You know, some people, they just succumb to what happens to them. I get on the night owl, and I get these phone calls, and surely, um, instead of trying to better themselves, a lot of them just want to wallow where they are. They internalize it. Yeah. And, And we'll talk about that after your story, but that is a problem with people. I know what she's talking about. What Lori's talking about. Okay, let's go down to Philip. Um, Philip, do you have something you'd like to ask or make a comment about? Um, I can relate too because my siblings were treated better than me for some reason. Mm-hmm. Mm. It, it's it, it's you know it's hard. It's hard. I, I was singled out too. Okay, I was a black sheep. I found out why later on, but this isn't my story, <laughs> okay? I can't mm-hmm. say why right now. But, yeah, when you're singled out like that, you know, it's, that hurts like hell in itself right there, okay? And I'm a Christian lady, but I'm saying hell, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. yes, yes. You're right, but and what's, was, interesting, yeah. what's interesting, Carol, when, um, when my mother, I finally found out why, she treated me the way that she did, and it was after she made her transition, and her 
sister came from North Carolina to the funeral, and I was in my mother's room after the funeral just looking over some things on her dresser, and she she still had a bottle of Avon perfume that I had given her, like, when I was a kid, and my one of my friends was still in Avon, and I bought it for my mother for Mother's Day, and that was, like, 20, 30 years ago, but she still held on to that. And so the sister came, her sister came into the room. I never spoke a word to this woman, Carol. And she just automatically said, you know why your mother used to whoop your butt all the time? Mm -hmm. And I looked at her and I said, excuse me? And she said, you know why your mother used to whoop your butt all the time? She told me because she used to beat my mother all the time. When she was in charge of her, she was like babysitting my mom, and she used to beat my mother all the time. And she said my mother was beating me because any time she beat me, she was actually beating her sister because I looked just like her. Not good enough, though. Okay, not good enough. You see, when parents do that, Lakeisha, I know you're there, honey, but I'm, I'm going to get to you right now. Um, that that makes me mad because no kid who bring, comes into this world should be beaten ever, ever. And if you look like someone who looked like someone who looked like something, you know, that, that just irritates me and I feel for you. I feel so hard. Um, I really feel hard for you. I, that that's, that's terrible. With me, oh, believe I was me, I was, I was definitely mm-hmm. angry when she said that. But then also look at the generational cycle of abuse. Yeah. That still goes on in household to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Unless that cycle is broken. Yeah. Yeah. But that that's why I always say, I'll say that and I'm going to Lakeisha. Um, that's why I always say, when a kid is out on the street doing something bad, don't just judge the kid. Go to the house, okay, and find out the answer. Because many times they are the product of what they see and what they yeah. go through. Okay. Yeah. So let, let let's go to Lakeisha. I don't want to feel left out. <laughs> okay. Go ahead, Lakeisha. Oh, hello, Nesca family. I do not feel left out, but thank you for picking up. We love you, Lakeisha. Yeah, I love you guys too. Um, I don't know if I have much to say, but I can definitely relate to some things, and I can say that you know, you didn't deserve that, and no one does. And, you know, even in thinking about the old, the cycles that run in my family, um, there's just a, a, a place where I can understand and empathize a, a child, you know, going through these things. But it doesn't excuse, like, the way that I was treated or others are treated. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hear that. For what you went through as well. Um, but what what I realized through this whole journey also is, you know, like the situation with my mother and her generation cycle of abuse, they didn't have it to give. They didn't know how to parent. You know, she was probably one or two generations out of slavery. They had a lot of stuff, unresolved issues as well, that they didn't know how to deal with because it was taboo back in those days, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, even talk about things that happened to you. And so she didn't she didn't know how to give love, I guess. Or, you know, again, she probably, with my situation, um, I resembled her sister, so she probably got pissed every time she looked at me and wanted to slap me upside the head just because. But, you know, they, they didn't know. 
how to how to give a love. You know, because they still had unresolved issues, obviously in her case, from her childhood. And so I had that that was the forgiveness work that I had to do was to find a way to forgive her for hurting me the way that she did. I mean, she beat me so bad and that that she broke an iron cord and then when the iron cord broke she started stomping me in my stomach until I, you know, had 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 a bowel movement. And I was thinking because I gave birth to three to three um, kids, and I was wondering every time you pose a question to the universe, the universe is going to answer the question. And I always wondered why I wasn't able to carry any of my babies to term. My, my daughter was born three months premature. She was two pounds eleven ounces. Um, I had a son that was born. He was like a pound and some change. And so the universe, when I posed that question, eventually the universe showed me an image, a vision of her stomping me in my stomach. And that was, that's why I couldn't ever carry any of my kids to term because of the damage that was done from that beating. Well, I, I've heard a lot of stuff like that, you know, where I'm always horribly sexually abused too. But I, well, with my daughter, I almost lost her. She was born, born with a cord around her neck. She had no heartbeat. She was turned around weird. Um, but my son was born first, and he was fine. But she wasn't. But I was in an abusive situation, wasn't I? The second, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, you walk from a, a, a background like that, you don't know how to pick partners. I certainly don't. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know? You know, Absolutely. And uh, I did it twice, honey. What, well, am I stupid? You know, I think to myself, wait a minute now, you know, but, you know, it's like they walk in, uh, they're almost like, you know, how does that go? They're, they're sheep, but they walk in wolves' clothing, you know, or the other way around, they're wolves and they walk mm-hmm. in sheep clothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anyway, um, we just lack that ability somehow to uh, to see the bad in a person, which mm-hmm. I do. Especially if they're grinning at me, they're pulling the chair out for me, you know, mm-hmm. and they're being sweet, they're bringing me flowers, they take me to beautiful places, and oh, honey, if they own a Harley, they're really up there on top of my list, okay? <laughs> you know, so, yeah. So, I mean, I went through all that, and then the second time around, I didn't pick much better. I just didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems you know, like we're a magnet. We tend to attract those types of people because my, my, my daughter's father was very physically abusive um, mm-hmm. and I tried to escape and every time I moved somewhere, somewhere he would find me and he would break into the apartment or wherever I was living at at night and hold me, like kidnap me, hold me hostage, beat the heck out of me, rape me all weekend until I, I, I escaped. And he did that on two on several occasions, and that's what made me decide to finally leave New York City and go and go to the West Coast to get away from him. Right, right, you're right. Well, you know that's a, a terrible thing, and you know a lot of us have been through incest on, on uh, NASCA. I was too, by a whole bunch of us. It seems like. Um, I don't know so many people. Of course, one time we wouldn't say the word incest, would we? Because mm-hmm. it was a it was such a dirty, dirty word. Today, at least, we're talking more about child abuse. 
I've been on the show for 13 years, and um, wow. in June it'll be 13 years. I came, told my story, and I never left. And Bill is just so happy. <laughs> yes, <he is. laughs> I like to tease. I love to tease him. But anyway, I guess he's happy. I don't know. Whatever. So the point is this: you know, um, we don't know how to choose, and then we get all screwed up, even mm-hmm. more. You know, mm-hmm. until until something good happens in our life that helps us, you know, turn our lives around, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not always easy because you have to look at yourself too. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we tend to we tend to gravitate to toxic relationships, you know. And again, that's just a pattern of behavior that we've learned for you know, however that evolved. Um, and then you know, we people have a tendency to jump into relationships too quickly anyway, because like you said, you know, the guys that they were nice, pulling a chair out, had a Harley Davis motorcycle, you know, they, they were it. <laughs> mm-hmm, but, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of times you get into those relationships with men who themselves have unresolved issues. You know, That's if it's right. with their mom and they hate their mom, then they marry you and you do something to trigger a mom activity, then, you know, they take that aggression for their mom out on you. Yeah. So it takes time to really get to know a person and feel comfortable with them. And that's what I tell women all the time. It takes at least three years to, to get to know a person enough to feel comfortable and go through those different cycles, the honeymoon cycle and all of that, um, you know, to, to really make a decision whether or not you want to spend your life with this person. Because people will show you who they really are. And either you accept that and recognize it or you make excuses for it. A lot of women go into relationships thinking, I can fix this person. And you have two broken people trying to make a whole relationship. That's not going to work. That's right. That's right. I used to have a friend. I'm going to say this now. I should go back to your story. But, we, you know, I used to have a friend that um, – with my first husband during that time, that was in the 60s, honey, okay? <laughs> but anyway, mm-hmm. she she said, Carol, can't you see that he's being nasty to you? He would be, you know, he'd say mm-hmm. nasty things to me. And, and I wouldn't hear it. I wouldn't see it. I wouldn't feel it. I, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to connect that this, you know, he was being like that. Okay? And I, I think that's because all my life, too, that's what I learned and that's what I grew up with. And, and uh, it. I started to go in one ear and out the other, and I didn't even think mm-hmm. about it. You know, I didn't even mm-hmm. think about it. And uh, so because this is what happened. We want to feel yeah. loved. We want to feel accepted, and somebody's paying attention to us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So we're happy in the moment until the stuff hits the fan two or three months later, if even that long. That's right. And we put up with it. Um, here, here's a good example. Um, when I was married, my last marriage, uh, he was beautiful, wine and dining. No sooner than we got back from the honeymoon, he started showing his true colors. And after a couple of years, six or seven years in the marriage, I was thinking about leaving. Um, he put his hands on me, and that was it. That was like a, a, a no tolerance at all. The first time he hit me, you know, I had him arrested and put out of his own house. And so I was talking to one of my friends, and she's a, a, a pastor's wife. And um, we were talking, and I told her that I was contemplating leaving him because he was also very verbally abusive. And I was surprised because she had read my book, like, some time ago. And so I was surprised when she said, she said, well, Shirley, it seems that you spend your whole, you spent your whole childhood running away and moving from place to place, and now here you are all these years later, 
still talking about running away and moving. When are you going to settle down? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The highest Christian woman, I'm like, you know, she. I guess she expected me or she thought that I should put up living with an abusive husband and work things out just so I could have a blissful home life. That mm-hmm. that didn't compete uh, to me at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, a lot of us are like that. You know, we, we just uh, we just don't get it. And then finally, sooner or later, now today, no one can put me down, Shirley. Okay, no one. Mm-hmm. If they mm-hmm. do. I may not say anything quite at the time, but I will get it out there because I'm a survivor. You're a survivor. Mm -hmm. We're all survivors on this show, every single one of us, okay? And um, we come to a point in our life where we're not going to let people down us anymore because we were down enough, and I won't stand for it. I don't care whose mouth it comes out of, okay? Um, Sooner or later, if not at the moment, sooner or later, I will let them know, you know, hey, I don't like this, and I won't stand for it, okay? Mm-hmm. I, and yeah. So I turned very tough, and I, I think that's one of the things outside of God, uh, you know, that, that saved me because uh, with my toughness, um, and it's real, it's genuine, um, mm-hmm. it, it keeps me um, above water, and I do mean that, mm-hmm. above water. <laughs> anyway. I can relate, okay. absolutely. I can relate. Yeah, I have a yeah. zero. I have an absolute zero tolerance for any type of uh, abuse. And once a person shows me who they are, I'm out of there. I don't give them a second chance or anything. I don't even date. I don't date. I haven't mm-hmm. dated in like four years. And then when I try, I might try occasionally, maybe once a year. But it's so scary now. You know, it's just like a whole different world. Guys are mm-hmm. creepy. <laughs> Well, we have one look, thing on their mind. No, I'm no offense to you, Bill, but yeah, yeah, he's he's sort of listening. He is, but you know, like, um, but you know, let, let me tell you what. This is what happens. I'm glad you brought that up. Now, I know you have a little bit more to your story, but we're having a conversation here. So, yeah, absolutely. and I will go back to the yeah, and I will go back to the panel. And this is something that we talk about. Um, I'm afraid I, I've been asked out by several guys. I, I live in Oxford, New Jersey now. And well, more than several guys, maybe five guys, whatever. I'm not keeping track, and I keep turning them down. You know, mm-hmm. because I feel the way the way I look at it is, I made such two bad blunders that took a big chunk of my life. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I'm scared to death that um, you know that I might make another stupid mistake, and I'd mm-hmm. rather just. Uh, you know, be by myself. I'm my own boss, right? Are we not our own bosses? Um, no yeah. one's going to be. No one's going to be talking to me except for my cat who meows too much. And um, you know, in my house, uh, no one tells me when I can go, where I can't go, who I can be with, who I can't be with. Hey, I like it this way better, honey. I get it. Absolutely. I don't have to ever <laughs> yeah. anybody except yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah. And if I get bored, if I do, I, uh, I'll go out and see somebody that I know, you know my, my kids, my friends, whatever, you mm-hmm. know, that type of thing. And that's just fine with me. Let's go to Lori and see what she has to say about this. Is she there? Oh, Lori dropped. Oh, okay. She's not feeling well. Okay. All right. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. So, um, but anyway, then what we'll do is we'll go down to Philip. Philip, do you have something that you'd like to say? No. No, not right now? Okay. Then let's go to Lakeisha. Do you have something you'd like to say? No, I apologize for the background noise. I'm walking my dog. I'm uh, 
I'm still here, though. Okay. All right. Um, maybe we should see if Bill would like to say something. I'm going to open up his mic. Bill, would you like to say something? You've been hearing all this. No. No, you guys are doing great. I'm in the middle of something, so I can't really comment. Okay. All right. Did you get my email? Yes, no? I don't think you heard me. All right. Um, all right. Well, let's let's go back to your story here. Um, and I know that you've also written a book, and we're going to get into that. Uh, mm-hmm. But what is it that haunted you? Okay, you had a traumatic childhood that haunted you. Um, what is it that haunts you in your childhood? Let's work from there. It was like this dark shadow was always following me around. Mm-hmm. And I, I just had this weird, like I said, I felt that I wanted to make a significant contribution to life, but I never knew what that was. And I always felt that there was something special in me or about me, but I didn't mm-hmm. understand what that was. And, um, like, when I get into a lot of times when I ran away or whatever, it always seemed like this dark shadow was always there. It was always following me. Even when, um, and it was like trying to kill me, like it was trying to take my life, that kind of, it was that intense. And um, I used to have nightmares um, for a long time, really, really scary nightmares about a myriad of different things. But I'd wake up petrified. I'd wake up heart racing, sometimes in a cold sweat. And I I used to be afraid to go to sleep. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so once, when I wrote my book, it really was liberating. And it was like after I went through that whole process of writing the books, I can honestly say, Carol, that I have not had one nightmare since. Not one. Hmm, that's good. And that's so, excellent. Yeah, that that was a big thing about me. It's like, what is this darkness? What is this darkness that just seems to be following me everywhere that I went? So that was like that was probably the worst part of, you know, the whole thing growing up. Like I just couldn't figure out what that was, but I knew whatever it was, it was trying to kill me. But then I also knew that I was here for a special purpose, even though I didn't know what it was. Because look, my mother told me how she tried to kill me when I was in her womb and she didn't and she didn't succeed. So I had mm-hmm. I, I survived that mm-hmm. for a reason. Mm-hmm. And and that's how I I, I reasoned it. That's that was my rationale to try to maintain some sanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we all have our demons, you know, things we have to deal with. My mother used to say we'd mm-hmm. never be friends, she and I. And I found out much later on why. And uh she was raped once, and I popped. It's as simple as that. Mm. And she pushed, mm. and she pushed me off as one of the family, and it worked. And then I found out later on, but I can't go into that because we're talking mm. about you. But you know what I'm trying to say is, uh, we have all of us. We have our demons, you know, and things that we have mm. to deal with. Now, mm. um, beliefs and painful memories of a traumatic childhood that haunted her. That's where I came from right then and she found liberation mm-hmm. through writing a book and you spoke about that with the little girl within now when you say the little girl within that's what you're referring to is you want you you look backwards and when you wrote your book it all came out on paper and you know it's funny because when i wrote my book i didn't have any emotion at all <coughs> that's weird but i i just it was like almost it was almost like I was watching a, a movie and seeing a story, and I just wrote it all out, 
I wrote out 314 pages in, in wow. 28 days. Wow. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And my book made it to Japan. <laughs> Holy Christopher. Wow. So I guess yeah. I did something right. But, you know, um, you okay? I didn't have any, uh, yeah, I'm outside. I think the allergies are starting to kick in a little bit, but I'm fine. Okay. I didn't have an official book launch uh, for my book. I was going through that domestic violence thing and in the process of leaving my husband, who was very wealthy. He was he had mm-hmm. a lot of money, but he was just a mm-hmm. jerk. Um, <laughs> but what I wanted to share, though, also <clears throat> about the little girl within, that piece came about when I was having a Reiki session, mm-hmm. and she was doing her, the, the hands hovering over my body with her hands, and she was picking up energy. In, in the uh, the, um, the sacral chakra area, mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. and she and that's where the little girl conversation started because she said, you know, I feel essentially that you know the little girl wants you to know that it's okay, we got this or whatever, and she was mm-hmm. saying that the little girl wanted to tell me that, and I needed to talk to the little girl inside, and. I'm like, that was a little woo-woo for me. <laughs> I like, talked to the right. little girl inside. I didn't, I didn't fully comprehend that. And, you know, I reflected on it, and I, I wrote about it. I'm sorry, I don't even have a copy. I ran downstairs and forgot to bring a copy of my book. <laughs> but um, that was, that was a, it was a phenomenal experience because I did do a meditation after I contemplated whether I, I, I wanted to go into that spiritual dimension like that. <laughs> Excuse me but it was very, very helpful, and it kind of put some things in perspective for me as well. And then the conversation started while I was on that healing journey, and the, that piece really started. Um, I had gone to um, to get a psych case, another certification, and that was a weekend retreat in Richmond, Virginia. And so that was a phenomenal event. It was during the – and that's when I really learned the difference between forgiveness, what you just say, I forgive somebody off the cuff, and authentic mm-hmm. forgiveness when it comes from the heart. Because even though all these years I was having all these flashbacks and, you know, um, <clears throat> emotional reactions to some of the things that my mother did for did to me, and, you know, during all the, all the days of her life on this earth, I never, ever disrespected her either. Um, I might have hated her like crazy, which I did, but I never verbalized that to her. I never disrespected her. And then I convinced myself. I was in, I was in therapy for about three years trying to deal with that. And um, the therapist told me, she said, well, I'm like, well, I forgive her. You know, I understand, you know, she might have gone through some things or whatever. And the therapist was like, well, no, 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 she doesn't get off that easily. But I didn't buy into that. But anyway, when I was at this uh, seminar, <clears throat> And we started doing some work. They were one of the questions came up about my mom, and it's like, well, did you ever forgive your mom for what you did? I'm like, yeah, I forgave her. And the the, the psyche test kept coming back, nope, 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 nope. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm, a lady mm-hmm. finally said, she said, you need to go over here and sit over here, and, and then we'll work through this thing. And I mean, Carol, I didn't I didn't realize that I had so much pent up hate because, um, you know, the body has a tendency to hold on to it. It remembers everything, right? No matter what we try to convince ourselves, our body holds on to all the memories of everything. And it was during that weekend seminar that I really, really felt, I felt the emotional release and peace about my mother. And so at that time, that's when I I made peace with that situation. And I was able to genuinely 
forgive her. And so after that point, I never had the emotional uh, anger or any of that when I thought about her. I thought about her more in a loving way, and I can relate to her as a woman, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and that made a big – that was a big shift for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you were able to do that, okay? Um, there are many people on NASCAR that can't do that. I won't do it. <laughs> I'm so fresh. But let, let me tell you what, though. <laughs> the reason why I won't do that is because my mother always knew what she was doing. And when she would do these horrendous things to me, she knew what she was doing. And it's just like um, inside the family, like I was talking about before with the brother and with me, he knew what he was doing and nobody gave a damn, okay? They didn't care. No. Mm-hmm. So I was well, just they, they, put, what, what, yeah. What, yeah, like like you said, you, the, by the way that you were conceived, you, that created some emotional issues for your mother that she probably never dealt with. Yes, I'm sure of that. I'm absolutely yeah. sure of that. Yeah, and, and, so and for that, I'm sorry. For, yeah, forgiveness I am sorry. is not forgiveness is not for the other person. The forgiveness is for me, and that for mm-hmm. us, for you, mm-hmm. for me, for whoever is still holding on to the anger, the hurt, the disgust, the disappointment or whatever from whatever happened to them because I realized once I finally was set free from that, it was like a ton of bricks was lifted off of me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I was happy. I wasn't angry. I was mm-hmm. I was almost a different person. I still had some work to do on some other issues, but I, I was a completely different person. It was like a burden that was lifted off of my heart that I didn't realize I was still carrying, and it was a heavy burden. It, yeah. it, it affected my attitude in a lot of ways. So it's not for the other person. It's for us. Because when you hold on to unforgiveness, it's seething inside of you, and it creates illnesses, and it c- contributes to creating diseases in our, in our bodies. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, there's two schools of thought on that. Some people <laughs> say, well, you know, we have all these diseases because of what happened. And then there's uh, the other school of thought where they say that if we release all of that, I think we should do that anyway if we can, um, you mm-hmm. know, release all of that, that anger, that hatred. I look at, um, I look at all the things that happened to me. They, it didn't need to happen. And it was because, uh, in my case, um, my mother was negligent. And she was trying to get rid of me all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, she succeeded, man, because I, I ended out on the street, too, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about with the boxes inside of the warehouses and all that stuff, because when, you know, it's chilly outside, you want need some place to go, and you want to get out of the wind mm-hmm. and all that. That's what you mm-hmm. do. And uh, my face was starting to get weathered looking and, and everything else. And, you know, it didn't matter whether I was out on the street or not or home, because nobody cared. So I could go in, go out, go in, go out, but I didn't want to see them because I didn't want to have fighting starting. So I would mm-hmm. wait and go into the house in the basement because they had the people I hung out with the street had um, friends, a couple friends that had a car. Mm-hmm. So they would take me back and forth. I'd take food from the house. Oh, they liked it when I went home for a minute. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, get some clean clothes and whatever. And and get the heck out of there before they realized I was in there. This is like 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, like when they were sleeping. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I picked my time. and um, But it's a, a very rough life that we, the survivors, live. And it's amazing. It's amazing 
that a lot of us who went through so much, and I don't take yard sticks, it's not that, but that we survived. It's the situations that I'm speaking about. I was, I became very mm-hmm. suicidal at one point. I got into mm-hmm. alcohol and drugs. Did you go through any mm-hmm. of that? I did. did. I, I did, but not a lot because a lot of my family members, distant family members, were all heavily into drugs, and just watching their lifestyles and how the drugs affected me was sort of a turnoff for me. But, like, I I did start drinking a little bit at a a young age, like junior high school or high school age. I started drinking and smoking cigarettes and smoked a little bit of weed. So nothing real. I tried a lot of different things, but nothing really – I didn't really stick to any one thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I didn't get strung out on alcohol or strung out on weed or strung out on drugs or anything like that. Because, again, and that's probably what saved me, is watching my older uh, relatives deal with their back then they used to call them a habit that person had a habit that means that person was uh, using heroin or shooting drugs mm-hmm. or now I did uh, um, <clears throat> for a period of time um, probably maybe 15 or 20 years ago I, I kind of got a little bit addicted to um, pills I used to like to take Valium, and and that's when I was going through this transition, trying to put all the pieces of everything, my childhood, together. And it was a bit overwhelming, so I went and got a doctor gave me some Valium, and I kind of got hooked on that for a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. That was probably the the biggest thing for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you have to be careful with anything. Now, I've been taking that for years. And um, well, I, I was surprised know. to find out when you get a certain age, you can't you can't take them anymore. <laughs> what I need a couple of what? I guess <laughs> they tried to they tried to put me on other stuff, but I wouldn't take it because it yeah. did, it didn't work synergistically with my body, and that's one of the things that I like about Valium because it it, it did what it's well, it was calming, and I didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of residual effects from it. It's like also good. Other... <laughs> mm-hmm. Now let me tell mm-hmm. you what it's also good. Like. Um, I had a terrible operation. I won't go into that right here. But um, they cut nerves, and that's why I, I started Valium, because it works mm-hmm. on the nervous system. You're right. And it helped also keep me from having spasms in, in my in mm-hmm. my gut, mm-hmm. okay, because mm-hmm. I had so many problems in there. I think that when we are so brutally abused, okay, mine started at the age of six and worked its way all the way up, <laughs> And mm-hmm. uh, and with the other different people and so forth. But the point is, uh, yeah, they can damage us inside. You bet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes, they can. Yes. And uh, so, like, okay. I understand, you know, like with the, um, you know, miscarriages and all this other stuff that people have um, where they lose a child. I lost a child. Uh, I was again raped at 17. I was raped so many times. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. I'm not going to go there. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. I got pregnant that time. And um, God took my baby. That's the way I look at it. And mm-hmm. when I go to heaven, I just know I'm going to. Yes, I do. <laughs> I hope so. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. be up there with. I'll be up there with my. I think somebody's laughing their ass off. I um. You know. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll 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 be up there. I'll be up there with my baby. Okay. And um. Mm-hmm. You know. I get it. I get it. You know. So this is what happens to us. You know. We yeah. we become. You know, many times we do turn into street people. We do, we're very tough, we're very rough. I mean, mm-hmm. but that's kind of like helps keep us uh, standing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, 
you know, we have to take those walls down uh, at some time. Yes, and, and we all point. do go through yeah. that where, you yes. know, you don't trust anybody. That's why we have trouble with yeah. relationships and, um, or even trying one, okay? And mm-hmm. uh, got to take another brick down from that walk, take another brick down mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, to uh, get to that point, you know, where you do yeah. trust enough to even go into a relationship However, right. I do like my freedom. Yes, I do. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's like peeling the layers off of an onion, and, and you do it one brick at a time or one layer at a time. You know, when I was writing, my, I didn't know anything about adverse childhood experiences. The initial study conducted, I think, with the CDC and Kaiser Permanente uh, between 95 and 97 first described that term, adverse childhood experiences. Um, and then it, there was a follow-up study of more than like 17,000 people answered questions about their childhood experiences. And a study found a tight association between ACEs and various uh, adverse outcomes in adulthood. And that's kind of what my research is now because I am writing a sequel to that book, but it's going to be a novel and it's going to have a fantastic twist to it. And so I'm doing a lot of research in that area as well of our adverse childhood experiences on us as adults. And um, that, that, of course, that study suggested that, that ACEs are major factor, risk, risk factors that lead to cause uh, illnesses, disabilities, and even early death, as well as a poor quality of life in the U.S. And that's one of the things that I was looking at that really I started pondering was the quality of my life. And, you know, the deeper studies talk about the, the, the way the brain grows differently in kids who have, like, a certain ACE score, uh, our brains don't develop normally. And I used to always wonder about that in my adulthood, about my quality of life, no matter how hard I tried to succeed or do certain things, I always, like, just got to a certain point and couldn't, like, um, like a certain threshold and couldn't go any further. Um, it's still, and I still have that desire to make something significant of my life. And... Um, so I wondered about that when I started studying how the brain developed in childhood as a result of some of the traumatic things that I've experienced. <laughs> and, well, um, that, that's so true. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of studies on that, and I've gone to a lot of different schools, you know, a lot of schooling. Mm-hmm. And they, um, at one point I worked at Greystone Psychiatric Hospital, and we had tremendous amount of schooling. They were trying to turn us into shrinks. That's what they were trying to do, <laughs> I swear to God. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like the studies would never stop, and we'd keep going month after month after month after month. Mm-hmm. But in order mm-hmm. to become, um, you know, a state-certified technician, actually or even more than that, board you know, certified state technician, blah, 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 mm-hmm. um, we had to have a lot of schooling, okay? So we learned that. about the brain because it had, it's funny because you mentioned that, um, in, in the lab that we were taken through, they had brains in, in this liquid, and it was like a tubular type thing, but the thing was floating around mm-hmm. the brains. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice, <laughs> but it showed the uh, it showed a normal brain, okay, mm-hmm. and then it showed an abnormal brain, like where where people were uh, beaten and and all this other stuff, probably got the mm. same thing that we went through. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't use titles too much back then. Well, this is not the normal brain, and this is the uh, normal brain, and this is mm-hmm. the abnormal brain, and this one where you know people had terrible lives. That's the way they word it, without going into anything. Mm-hmm. Wow. And those brains were different. 
They wow. were different. So you see, the the areas of our brains that are uh, bruised and and uh, there's a shift. What happens is, if um, a part of our brain gets destroyed, and it might be with memories. That's probably why mm-hmm. some people dissociate. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, the other brain cells rush in to try and help that area, but it never completely does the same job, okay? Mm-hmm. That's, so that, yeah, that's that what happened. Yeah. yeah, that was fascinating yeah. to me to hear that, you know, because mm-hmm. I didn't... I didn't know until I started researching that book what adverse childhood experiences was. It was just something that I was going through that I didn't have a name for. And then when I learned about it, it validated. It just really validated. And it's like, okay, so you, you're not going crazy. Maybe to some extent I am because it wasn't as like recently, it wasn't really in the scope of my thinking until recently to consider how the brain developed during childhood as a result of ACEs. And I didn't associate any of what I felt was a lack of logical thinking or reasoning, mental activities in regard to some of the choices that I made in life. And mm-hmm. otherwise, those probably would have been excuses to rationalize my behavior. And I, I didn't feel like some of my abnormal self-deceiving behavior could be a result of the way that my brain developed as a child until recently. Now I'm, I'm starting to really accept that as a reality. Well, it is reality, honey. It is mm-hmm. reality. <clears throat> and then also, too, say like the brain of a pedophile is different. Mm. So they've done all kinds of studies. And they've been, for, for years, they've been, like for the last three decades, they've been studying pedophilia, you know, and, and this mm. is what they've come up with, and that's why you can't fix them, okay? You can't mm. fix people like that. Mm. And, um, you know, so there's all kinds of things. I could run all different kinds of shows about all different kinds of conversations. But mm-hmm. um, I'm so happy that you're able to come on the show. It's not over yet. But <laughs> what got you? Let, let me let me say something to you. Um, it says here you're a, uh, a certified holistic life coach, skills coach, and a spiritual warrior. So what got you into becoming a um, into a, you know that type of study? Um, well, I've always been on a spiritual journey. I've been on a spiritual journey. <laughs> for more than 20-something years. But for the Mm -hmm. coaching piece, (laughs) that's kind of a funny story. It it was just a happenstance. It was sort of a challenge to myself. A friend, uh, when I was living in uh, uh, Delaware, I lived so many places, I can't even keep up with myself sometimes. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was the the basis of the story, was a a talk about moving so much as a result of that childhood experiences, but whatever. And so I was in Delaware, and a friend had invited me to go hear one of his friends uh, who was conducting a workshop or something. And I don't know what the topic was, but um, I'm like, dang, I could do that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I'm mm-hmm. like, well, what, what is she? You know, what is she doing? Why is she doing it? She said, well, she's a life coach, and whatever the topic was, that was her area of expertise. And I'm like, well, that's something I think I can do. And But I'm, I didn't know what specific niche, what my niche was. And so I mm-hmm. started out on this journey to try to figure that out, but I knew it had to do with something spiritual, but I didn't know what. And I, I, like I said, I was just on my journey, so I didn't really have a lot of uh, knowledge or experience, but I was just, just following. I, I, I used to call it following the breadcrumbs that spirit drops for me to follow. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so, right. you know, and so that's mm-hmm. how that evolved. I went and got my coaching certification, and um, they they couldn't quite 
understand because I feel like it should be this or I feel like it should be that, but everybody was turned off by the spiritual thing. If you're not talking about business or making money or some other niche, you know, nobody really wanted to deal with the spirit, the spiritual stuff. I had paid this lady over $5,000. She was a coach in California to help me figure out what my niche was and try to put all these things that I was feeling and thinking uh, together. And after she got her $5,000, the last payment on the $5,000, she told me that she couldn't help me no more. She only works with people who actually knows what their niche is. So that was another journey of just trying to figure it out. And I finally figured it out <laughs> just recently. That's a that's a that's a lot of uh, money for that. It, a lot of dinero, honey. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> you know, wow. Let, let me see if but, Philip but if he, he has under, something. Uh, uh, Hold on, mm-hmm. I want to. I, I try to go back to the um, the panel from time mm-hmm. to time. Okay, um, Philip, is there something you wanted to ask or make a comment about? No. Not right now. Okay, Lakeisha, are you still there? Is there something you want to ask or make a comment about? No, I was just thinking about what the stuff you guys are talking about with the brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brought up a lot of thoughts. Yeah. Okay. So, well, you know, child abuse is a horrible, horrific subject. All right. And and uh, it, some people say that it never goes away. A lot of people say that. You know. And and quite frankly, um, I think that if we have the proper help. And, you know, when we get in the proper direction, um, I think that we can pretty much live our lives as a, I'm going to say, pretty normal person, yes. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, we probably all have a little something stuck, you know, from the past, whatever it could be. Like, I used to suffer horribly from panic disorder. Terrible. Mm. And, and believe me, I, I had my first panic attack when I was nine years old. And it lasted until I was 49. Wow. And, yeah. And, and and I got over it by myself, okay? Mm-hmm. They could give me pills, and I didn't like the way the pills were actually reacting on me. Mm-hmm. I didn't like them that much. So, um, and Valium didn't seem to help that. So, you know, I just simply got so mad. Surely I got so mad at the panic attack. I was just saying all these filthy, foul things in my head. I wasn't saying them out mm-hmm. loud. I was in a store, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? And the anger in me, this is why I say the anger sort of like helped me, okay? Mm-hmm. The anger in me helped actually push that panic attack away, all right? Now, mm-hmm. I had about three more panic attacks after that. And, and I, 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 I chose to, you know, do the same thing with each one. And mm-hmm. uh, usually it was out in public, and I was humiliated horribly at times in public. I think that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of it anyway. So, um, mm-hmm. again, I can't tell you my whole story, but, you know, the, the point is we find ways to work with ourselves and also with the help of someone who knows what they're talking about, like a mm-hmm. good therapist, say, or, or whatever, mm-hmm. or a good coach mm-hmm. or, or someone. Um, a, you know, if they can help and you can help and if people are willing to move forward, if they're willing mm-hmm. to move forward and do the work, like you said, way in the beginning to do the mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not a perfect person. Never said I was. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I know how imperfect I am. And mm-hmm. um, and we have to look at the things 
you know, that and deal with the things that are not perfect about ourselves. And if mm-hmm. we want to change them, fine. If we don't want to change them, no, well, we'll still be the stupid idiot, whatever, you know, and act stupid, mm-hmm. whatever. And um, but it's a, a life-changing thing that we actually go into um, because we have to look at ourselves too. You go backwards, right. and then you can you, move forward. You're absolutely correct, Carol. And the work has to be done from the inside out, not from the outside in. And then another key point is people have to be ready to let go. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't because they've been so stuck in the pain and the emotional and still attached to the past that it's become a part of who they are. They identify with it. You know, I've I've been working on myself, working on elevating my level of consciousness for more than 20 years, and that's how I was able to find forgiveness, healing, and liberation for my unresolved childhood issues. And, um, you know, I'd like to share this insight uh, from the Yoga Sutra uh, that I've been studying lately, that the the mind is the greatest of all secrets. And mastering the mind and its roaming tendencies empowers us to attain victory in both our inner and outer worlds. We can adopt a plan to train our mind and free it from the self-defeating habits. A disturbed and confused mind cannot lead us to victory. Subsequently, we run, uh, we run after habits that harm our body, our mind, and our senses. We have to refrain from unwholesome activities And for that, it means to stop reliving the past, constantly retelling the traumatic experiences of our childhood. It only breeds more of the dissipating power of our mind. It drains the vitality of our body, damages our senses, and dissipates our mental energy. All all this uh, state in our evolution, capacity of our body has been diminished and the clarity of our mind is compromised. Karmic impressions are the building blocks of our mental world and have molded us into what we have become today. They shape our reality. And in short, they are us and we are them. Our bond with them is so strong that losing them feels like we're losing ourselves. That's why even though our karmic impressions are inevitably accompanied by fear and pain, letting go of them is difficult for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And there is a higher intelligence, the self-governing force, and when that intelligence manifests in our mind and senses, we're the instrument of that intelligent force. We need to get rid of our old mind, a mind filled with fear, aversion, attachment, distorted self-identity, ignorance, and the vast field of impressions that feed and propelled and that are fed and propelled by those afflictions. When we constantly stay in the loop of regurgitating the emotional pain and suffering, the sap of life is draining away and we must do something to stop it. I've made the choice to stay in the flow of life and work through my issues to find forgiveness, healing, and liberation from my adverse childhood experiences. Wow, that's heavy. That is really heavy. And it makes a lot of sense. We uh, That's why I guess those people that call me in the a.m., um, they're holding on to the past, too many of them, you know. Mm-hmm. 
and mm-hmm. and they can't, uh, you know, they don't look at having a new way of life because they're still struggling too hard with the way they're feeling now. Mm-hmm. I understand, you know, we have certain emotions, absolutely, and we do have emotions. I'm going to do a, a show on emotions um, someone had given me, and I'll explain then that night that I use it, but about our emotional structure, you know, and, and how that, you know, um, forms our life and, and, and the feelings that we have and where it comes from and all this other stuff. It's okay if you look at it that way. But if you get stuck, you know, and you're not willing to look beyond or out of the box, as they say, mm-hmm. you know, then a lot of times you do stay that way. And what you Absolutely. just read was beautiful. It was beautiful because mm-hmm. it shows how you can move forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And those are the type of things that... Um, that I try to put in my mind to overcome some of the other, you know, that's what I did. You know, that's what helped me renew my mind because I, I, I deserve it. I deserve to live the life that I want to live and make that significant contribution <laughs> to life that I wanted to do as a child. And that's what I'm endeavoring to do through my business venture that I'm trying to develop, which is Goddess's School of Recovery from Hard Knocks. I was going to ask you about that. I have that right in front of me. Um, Yeah, it says here, um, is founder of the newly formed company, Goddess School of Recovery from Hard Knocks. What do you do? Let's say a lot of people want to join this or become a part of it or whatever. What is it you teach them? Um, I have a structured program, and the purpose is to assist the people in recovering from their old wounds inherited from toxic relationships, adult child drama, unresolved childhood issues, and and other emotional baggages, you know, that they carry and are ready to conquer. I was talking to a lady a couple of weeks ago, and she had a, oh, whew, she had a horrible childhood, and it, it was just her and her brother, and all they do is sit around and talk about, you know, their, their trauma. And so she reached out to me, and, you know, I'm spiritual, but I do keep it real. I don't take none of this stuff for granted, and I don't take life lightly. And she, first thing she wanted to do was to go into her story, and she was just so emphatic and so emotional. She was back there, okay? And she was so used to rehearsing her story. I'm like, yo, yo, wait up, slow down, slow down. And she had told me of all, she'd been to psychiatrists, therapists, counseling, coaching for like the last 10 or 15 years. And I'm like, well, why don't you, what, what's the problem here? Why isn't, why hasn't any of that worked? And I asked her one simple question, Carol. And she couldn't, it it was a simple yes or no question, and she could not answer that question. She deflected for about five minutes, and I I kept coming back. And the one question that I asked her was, are you ready to let go of your story? And I had to ask her that about three times. And on the third time, she looked shocked, and she said, you know what? No one has ever asked me that before. No, she was not ready to let go of her story because she was so entrenched in it. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't work with her. Right. That's right. People have to be ready. Like, you're very mm-hmm. ready to, you know, share with us what you, we have shared. And, and um, well, everybody on here just about, just about. There's one person who asked me, that person knows who he is. But anyway, the point is this. Um, when you're ready to share your story, you're ready. If you're not ready, I don't push people because... Mm-hmm. They're, they're not going to be, they'll falter, or, or maybe they'll just hang mm-hmm. up, you know, <laughs> you don't know what they're going to do. I had one lady do that one night, oh, my God, 
and she thought she was ready to, you know, to tell her story. But mm-hmm. um, she couldn't get past a certain point, and and it, it blew her mind so badly she hung up. I think she started to cry really hard. Okay, mm-hmm. right. mm-hmm. yeah. she's still mm-hmm. connected. Yeah, she hasn't healed. Yeah, so it's a yeah. the healing. The healing has to come, and the forgiveness has to come before the liberation comes. Mm-hmm. And so one of the well, things that I'm endeavoring to do with God is the School of Recovery from Hard Knocks. I already do um, uh, workshops. I do. I have four signature workshops. One of them is Four Steps to Reveal Your Divine Essence. And that, that's an important, that's the foundation of who we are. People need to understand who they are from a spiritual perspective, from the inside out. We're more than who we see in the mirror. Okay, and once they understand that, then you tap into a different power. So it's not, you know, it, that's the in, that's the inside work. It's the inside job, essentially. And so that's the basic uh, requirement that they have to go through is, is that workshop. And then I have the ACE factor, which I, you know, teach about adverse childhood experiences, and then uh, seven top uh, tips for stepping up your game. And then cutting the apron string is for moms who are in toxic relationships with their adult children. Oh, I've had so many situations like that with with some clients. And so basically it's about teaching them how to turn their life around, and I do personalized holistic solutions that help them overcome the challenging life issues. And I'm I'm also in the process of of developing a life skills and mind fitness academy. And it's a mastermind program that's going to teach uh, people how to live a healthy lifestyle, make healthy lifestyle changes that align with their authentic self, Not, not the person that they see in the mirror, but what, what's your purpose? What's your mission? You know, that, that thing that kept calling me is something that's calling you, but we have to mm-hmm. let go of some other things, and some people aren't ready to let go of those other things. Right, right. That's exactly right. I agree with that, um, because that goes back to what I do in the AM, one, the night owl, and uh, some of those conversations are real short. Because when I ask them about certain parts of their life, they don't, they're not ready to talk about it. But mm-hmm. they sure as heck want to complain about it and feel about <laughs> it and, and all this other stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. So what I do with people like that is NASCA does have programs. We do have programs that people can turn to. And uh, that's on our, our front page. You call it NASCA, N-A-A-S-C-A dot org. That's our website, N-A-A-S-C-A dot org. And all the way over to the left-hand side of the page, you'll see um, programs. It's in red boxes or boxes. There. I don't know if Bill's rearranged that or whatever, but it was in red boxes. And the first one has programs written in it. And people can click onto that. You'll see the world spinning around. And uh, you know you're in the right place because right below that, you'll see other countries because we're worldwide. We have people calling from everywhere, down under Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, Israel, all, all kinds of places. And wow. uh, then under that is the United States, and the uh, United States is there. And uh, you find mm-hmm. you find where you live. Like if you're from Texas, you, you know, everything is alphabetical, all right? You go to mm-hmm. Texas. And then it gives you all different areas, you know, all different programs. You find, you know, what, uh, like uh, I'm close to Morristown, say, in New Jersey, mm-hmm. closer. And um, so I go to Morristown. I look that up. Everything's alphabetical. And then it shows mm-hmm. all the different programs, you know, that uh, people can go to. 
who have been sexually mm-hmm. abused, and once in a while there's just for domestic violence and, and, and things like that. Sometimes I think that's a mistake because so often those of us who are so domestically, you know, we go into all of that, we had such a – the two seem to go together a lot of times. Yeah. But, yeah. But they have the different programs is my point. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm hoping that when I do send people to those programs, if they'll go, and they're cheap, they're cheap. They don't they don't charge that mm-hmm. much, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, it's sort of like with AA, uh, put some money in for coffee and donuts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so this is, that's the way this is. A lot of these programs are like that. Once in a while, <laughs> you'll find a program that's fifty bucks. Okay, well if that mm-hmm. covers all the time you go there, a lot of times people don't have the money. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. you know, the $50 is a big deal, and um, but it's a lot cheaper than, saying, going to a psychiatrist or something. I was going to charge oh, yeah. you $400 a session or something. So, um, you know, I mean, there, are, there is that available, too. And um, But I'm really interested in the Reiki thing that you were talking about. Um, are you still involved with that, with Reiki, or, or what? Well, I don't do it personally. I, I know people that do, that provide mm-hmm. that service. Yeah. Right. Do you guys ever do conferences or anything like shop seminars? No, we don't have that. Well, what what we mm-hmm. are is um, what, what we have is the platform that's here where people tell mm-hmm. their story, and uh, then also too on Tuesday and Thursday nights um, we have other people come in. Um, they might have their PhD or they might be cops or something or, or whatever mm-hmm. and uh, share with us and so forth. And But many of us do presentations. I've done many presentations. Mm-hmm. And then when COVID hit, that, that seemed to that take changed. that away. Yeah. And yeah. then DIFIS got involved and they got a grant. I was going to this university. I'd done that for five years and, uh, you know, giving presentations and so forth, and helping to teach classes with the professors, mm-hmm. um, you mm-hmm. know, on domestic violence and things that you can, you know, that are out there. Because they're going to become mm-hmm. social workers. They should learn yeah. these things, okay? Yeah. And if they haven't been through the same thing that we've been through, a lot of times, uh, you know, they don't they don't understand that. They just simply they don't. They Absolutely. No, they can't relate. And... Um, not everyone, I'm not saying, I don't want to get it out there, because there are people who haven't been abused like we have who do become good, you know, psychiatrists or good, you know, mm-hmm. counselors and, and stuff like that. Um, they have the mind for it and they have the empathy, okay? They They're empathetic, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So they can be very good. Um, but the best, I'm going to say it, okay, um, counselors, <clears throat> And, and therapists and, and psychiatrists and, and, you know, other people in the field, it's because we have walked the walk, okay? We have walked that walk. And it's uh, as long as we've walked that walk and, and gone through all different kinds of things, we can add that to the education that we have. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and then... And then we become superstars. That's what it is. We hope we do, all right? <laughs> we'll leave it at that. You know? But, um, you know, it's a combination of both, I think, is the best, is what I'm trying to get across. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I enjoyed the conversation. Well, I think it's wonderful that you came on. 
And um, what would you leave as, uh, you know, you have a little time left. You have about, what, nine minutes or something like that. Before you, before I sign off, um, what would you leave? What type of uh, message would you like to leave the people that are listening? A lot of people listen to the computer, like I told you. And there's a lot uh-huh. of survivors out there. And um, they haven't taken that first step yet. You know, they're, they're nervous. Mm-hmm. They're bashful about sharing their story. Um, and I get it. Um, I remember the first time I shared my story. Me with the big mouth. I was scared to share my story, you know, because it was so close, so personal. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you know, what do you say to people like that? What what type of hope can you leave them? Um. Well, what I shared for the Lotus Future earlier, for sure. And then basically, is is find a way to center yourself in the present before you even begin examining your traumatic past. Find ways to accept your emotions and make peace with your feelings and just receive the knowledge and wisdom that comes up from within and allow yourself to feel the resulting emotions and then let them go so that you can move um, forward with your life. And it's a personal journey. Everybody's everybody's, um, journey is different. And how they find the solutions is tailor made to them. So um, work with work like what you said. It's important to work with somebody who understands what you've been through. You know whether or not they've been through it themselves or are empathetic. You know to the issues. Um, it took me a long time because I, I couldn't find nobody to relate to to relate to what I was going through. But I never gave up. Um, I always followed the calling wherever I was led. If it was to a bookstore to get a book to read um, or turn on the radio at the right time to hear a specific message, any question that you pose to the universe, the universe is going to answer. You just have to be conscious enough to recognize it. And you have to make those lifestyle changes, and it's going to be tough because the more we keep feeding the negative stuff, the more that's going to show up in our lives. So it's sort of like dancing to the beat of a different drummer or even changing dance partners, and you have to be ready to take that journey. You deal with that pain once and for all and put it behind you, and you can be healed and liberated and find forgiveness for those unresolved issues. And it wasn't our fault. That was a big thing, too. A lot of people feel, what did I do wrong? It wasn't our fault. You know, it's life. Everybody has dealt with something unpleasant more than once in this life. That's what life is all about. But we can't let it defeat us and define who we are. That's true. That's so, so, so true. That, that's part of the big problem, part of the big picture there of why people don't move you know, forward because they're letting everything that happened to them define who they are, okay, who they are mm-hmm. today. And they don't mm-hmm. know how to let go. Like you have written yeah. here. We have two minutes yet, so but uh, three minutes. Um, you have written here um, to take their power back. That's a heavy, okay? Mm-hmm. Sometimes once you understand down, who you are, once you understand right? who you are innately, not just mm-hmm. physically, you're going to take your power back. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> what a it good is. feeling that is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's why I can live alone today and feel – I shouldn't say that on air. <laughs> but that's why I can be alone. I can be alone there. I said I, I can be alone and and um, and do it okay, all right, and, and not need anything. Yes, I have the guy across the street, and he's probably listening to me. He'll, he'll have a mouthful to say. But um, I, I hire him to, to mow my yard because it's a nice big yard. You need, you need a riding lawnmower, okay? And um, I'm very thankful for him. And I had someone recently build a closet for me because I needed that closet. And um, and I got that out of the way. So, I mean, there's things like that. I'm not a carpenter. Come on. I know my limitations. <laughs> I'm not even going to try to start that one. Okay? So, you know, but outside of that, I'm fine. And it's only because mm-hmm. I've gotten to the point of where I am today because I did take my power back. Okay, and that's why no one can screw with me and say nasty things to me, and I'm going to just let it go poop out the window forever. I won't do that. I find the right time and place. <laughs> that's what I do, you know, mm-hmm. and let them know in a, in a very nice way that I'm displeased with them and why, okay, mm-hmm. and why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's taking your power back, too. Absolutely. So, uh, Philip, let's see if Philip has anything he wants to add here. Philip, you there? Yeah, you're here. Hello. Um, you said something about innate, your innate feelings or something. What was that that you said? Uh, who we are innately? Yeah. How, do you, how, how long did it take you to find that? How what? How long did it take you to find out that about yourself, who you are innately? I, I think I always knew. Not, not maybe I couldn't put a name to it, but I knew that it, I was more than being. That's something that I always felt inside of me, and that's what made me feel different. And I, I wouldn't say special, but different. And I always—it's that little voice. It's that little voice that's inside of you, right? And the more you pay attention to that, the more you listen to it, the stronger it grows. Um, have you ever been in a situation that didn't turn out right? But then you ended up saying, oh, something told me not to do this or to do that, and I didn't do it. I wish I hadn't listened. That's your your innate, that's your inner wisdom, your higher consciousness. And even as a child, even though I didn't know what it was, I always had a tendency to follow that voice especially when I was running away and being have, having to hide in abandoned buildings and things like that. When that voice would say, don't go in there, I wouldn't go. And then when I turned back and looked one time, I saw a man going in and told me to go here. Spirit said, don't go. I didn't go. And he was trying to set me up probably to rape me and kill me. So just following those little voices, that's your innate, that's your higher consciousness. So that means just living from the inside and, and being guided and directed um, in, uh, in everything that you do. And I had mentioned earlier in the conversation that I was following the breadcrumbs that spirit uh, dropped. So even though I didn't understand or it didn't make sense, I learned to be obedient. That's good. Okay. I like Did that, that make sense Philip? to you, Philip? Did that answer your yeah. question? Yeah, yeah. It's in, it's in you too. You have that same power and ability in you. You just have to tune into it. And I think the more that we get involved in the activities 
um, of the world, of the unwholesome activities of the world that drowns out that voice because we're so busy listening to the voice, the news, the negative news, and watching negative programs. And so that's what, you know, we're focused on the outer world instead of focusing on listening to that little voice inside. Because the more you listen to it, it's being obedient. The more you obey, the stronger it's going to get. And the more powerful you'll feel, the more confident that, confidence that you'll have in yourself and your own ability. That's when you start taking your power back. That's good. I like that. I like that. It's an inside job. <laughs> You know, you can come back anytime you want. Now you told your story, okay? You can come back and be on the panel Monday through Friday. Anytime you have time, you want to, you know, just get, you know, be a part of the show. It's uh, it's up to you because you're a NASCAR I'd family member now. Yeah, you're okay. you're a NASCAR family yeah. now. You, I'm long. <laughs> <somewhere. laughs> I appreciate that. No, yeah, well, that's the truth. That's the truth. So um, anyway, sure. thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, now there's a nine three one five zero five. They call now. It's too late. I haven't gotten the queue yet. Let me see. Who am I speaking to? Nine three one Eric Cohen. I think they just want to listen. Okay, I'll leave the mic open. Well, you you missed the show, and it was a very good one. We had um, we had Shirley here, and she was a wonderful wonderful person to have on Shirley Williams. And, uh, yeah, look it up in the archive. You're going to have to now to listen to the show. You can do that, by the way, Shirley. It's right on the front page of the mm. NASCAR website. And right mm-hmm. now up at the top, you go by the scan number on the right-hand side. You'll see. You'll just see numbers. No names, just numbers. And our scan number tonight is 3190. So anyone who wants to listen to this show, 3190, can hear the whole thing. Okay? Okay. I'll and then, that, yeah. Yes. And then it goes into the archives where it's there forever, okay? But you can get it right now. So, anyway, mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming on the show. You're a wonderful guest. You're very upbeat. I like that. Um, you're doing a wonderful job with yourself, and I know that the people that you touch, that uh, you speak to, I'm sure that they leave feeling much better about themselves, and that's mm-hmm. a gift. That's a mm-hmm. gift. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. It was my pleasure and my honor to be on your show tonight. Well, it was our honor to have you. Okay. So now I've got to wrap this up. I have to wrap it up. Thank <laughs> you again. And you come back okay. whenever you want, okay? I appreciate okay. it. Namaste. Okay. Thank you, honey. Good night, everyone. And we'll be back on Monday. Yes, we will. Good night. You are forgotten After all that you've done